But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, or are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, good morning, Covenant. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. I hope that your lunch is good. I'm going to get you out before all the Baptists and the Pentecostals so that you can have the best seat in the house this morning. All right, how's that? You know, we, this is our third week uh, coming into this series entitled Our Future Glory. In the very first message, we went to Colossians chapter 3, and we saw how important it is for us to be heavenly-minded Christians. And, and contrary to that uh, popular cliche, heavenly-minded Christians are actually of great good to this current world that we live in and for the world that is to come. And then last week, we went to John 14, where Jesus is talking to the disciples, and we looked at the subject of heaven itself and saw how heaven is a real, literal, physical place that is created and is the home of all of those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we looked at the truth, we just mentioned it, and we're going to unpack it in an upcoming message, that the heaven that we go to at death is actually temporary. Uh, Randy uh, Alcorn, in his book on heaven, touches on this quite a bit because of all the confusion that abides in the church today. He writes these words that bears repeating because it is so commonly misunderstood. When we die, believers in Christ will not go to the heaven where we will live forever. Instead, we'll go to an intermediate heaven. And that heaven where those who died covered by Christ's blood are right now, we'll await the time of Christ's return to the earth, our bodily resurrection, the final judgment, and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. If we fail to grasp this truth, we will fail to understand the biblical doctrine of heaven. So your thoughts and questions that we often have about heaven about death, about future events here on earth or in the future that will occur in the earth or in the universe. As we saw last week in John 14, it can often create feelings of anxiety, of worry or confusion. And so this passage uh, that we're looking at this morning, it also touches on this idea. Just as the disciples in John 14 were anxious and had questions, so too did the Thessalonian church. 
This church was founded by the Apostle Paul approximately 25 years after the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. It's around 50, 51 AD on his second missionary journey. He goes to this city, which is an important city in northern Greece. It's the Roman provincial, seat of the Roman provincial government, and he establishes the church there. At some point, as the church begins to thrive in the succeeding years, they come under persecution. We read in chapter 2, verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. This persecution conceivably led to at least some of them losing their lives, but what was clear was that other, there were members of their church, their church, loved ones and friends, who had clearly died. Perhaps some were because of the persecution that was taking place. And then, of course, the natural journey of life had concluded with some of their members in death. And this was confusing to them. Why was it confusing to them? Because like the apostles themselves, when they were converted and they became Christian, they were expecting Jesus to return at any moment. They were, they were looking for him. And as you read in the early books of Paul's writings, he's expecting Jesus to come back before he finishes his, uh, his ministry. And later in Paul's life, as he's realizing he's about to die, the tone of the second coming changes as he realizes, oh, I'm going to go to him before he comes back. And this was a surprise to the Apostle Paul. And these Thessalonians, no doubt, were expecting the Lord to come back. And yet, they were beginning to die for various reasons. And it was confusing to them. And so in chapter 4, verse 13, at the beginning of our passage, we read where Paul says to them, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. Clearly, they were, not, they were not grasping what Paul had already taught them about the second coming of Christ and about the future resurrection. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who are died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. You know, in recent decades, this passage of Scripture, especially over the last oh, 100, 150 years or so, has been used to justify various theories concerning the future of God's people. And, and while it's true that this passage certainly gives us insight into our future and into eternity and what our existence is going to be like, its purpose is primarily pastoral. Paul is talking to people who are grieving, and he wants to bring to them comfort and clarity over the loss of their loved ones. I don't want us to miss that this morning. In verse 18, Paul says, therefore, encourage or comfort one another with these words. My hope this morning is that Paul's original purpose will be realized in all of us. We, we just prayed for the He's family over the loss of our sister Marilyn. And, and the He's are one of many of us here this morning who are, are hurting over the loss of loved ones and friends. Uh, some of us have that loss is very personal as it was a family member. Others of us, it's felt because we miss those who even in our church body have now passed on. And so we grieve and we hurt. And so Paul's original purpose in this passage, we need it to be realized in our own lives. 
In fact, let's go ahead and let's just pause for a moment. And let's pray and let's ask that God would give his grace to us this morning and that would actually happen as a result of this message, okay? Father, I just look at one section of our church this morning. I see mothers who've lost children. I see husbands who have lost wives. I see wives who have lost husbands and brothers who have lost sisters. And Father, there is real pain in all of us this morning who understand the sting of death. And we'd ask that you would pour your grace out upon our congregation this morning. That you would help those who are really grieving and in such deep pain that in some way this morning, this passage would find fertile soil in their hearts. Would you open ears that maybe have been plugged? Would you change hearts that have been hurting and confused? Would you give clarity and comfort this morning? Would your spirit move among us? In your name I pray, amen. Well, let's glean a couple of applications, just two simple applications from our passage this morning as we look at this great text. First of all, to understand the glory of your resurrection, look to Jesus and his resurrection. To understand the glory of our future resurrection, we need to look to Jesus and his resurrection. Verse 14 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The very first portion of this verse, the first phrase, is a replication of the early creed that was within the church that the apostles taught the early Christians, which even forms the basis of our creeds. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Say that with me. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. One more time. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So he says. Because of this, he says, God is going to bring with Jesus. Okay? You know, as Christians, our salvation is bound up in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have to, we have to realize that as we start this, this morning, this, this study. We have to understand that our salvation is bound up. It relies upon Jesus not only having died on the cross, but having been resurrected from the grave. That's why the expressions with him, through him, and this verse are so important. Our identity is in Christ. We are linked to Christ. The resurrection is incredibly important. Why? Because it proves that Jesus is God and that he's worthy to stand in our place. This week I've begun kind of preparing for the series uh, uh, that will, will take us all through the ministry year next year. We're going to go through the book of Romans uh, beginning in September, and it'll take a year to get through it, I think, maybe a little more, hopefully less, um, but there we are. And I've already begun kind of reading and studying, and it's interesting how in the very beginning of Romans chapter 1, in the opening of Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I want to bring to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news about this person who was born in the lineage, the human lineage of David. In other words, he deserves to be considered the Messiah because he's fully human. But then he says the most important thing. He says, however, he was also raised from the dead, which proves that he was the son of God and his nature is divine. 
As much as he's 100% human, he is 100% God, worthy to stand in our place, and what proves this is the resurrection. The resurrection announces to us that the judgment of God has been satisfied and we have been declared justified and forgiven. Through Jesus' resurrection, Paul says in Romans 4, verse 25, he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. The resurrection announces to us that God's judgment towards our sin has been absolutely, thoroughly, 100% satisfied. We stand before God declared righteous and holy, and the sign of that is that Jesus rose from the dead. That resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, means that Jesus has defeated sin, He has defeated Satan, and the death that many of us are grieving this morning, ultimately death itself has been defeated because Jesus rose from the dead. Our salvation is bound up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the same time, his resurrection provides for us the framework the grid, the the paradigm through which we should understand our own resurrection. If we want to understand what our future resurrection is going to be like and our future resurrection body is going to be like and our existence, what is that going to be like? What we need to do is look at Jesus' experience. He provides the prototype. He's the first fruits, Paul says, of our own resurrection. You know, there's a lot of uh, common misnomers about our resurrected bodies. Uh, People have gotten really thrown by the terminology in the Bible that it is a spiritual body. And by the word spiritual, as if this means our existence for eternity is going to be some incorporeal, ethereal, non-material, non-physical existence. And and certainly through the ages, uh, Western philosophy has contributed to this. Plato, in his writings, really established within Western thought, and it got absorbed into Christianity that in some way the physical world is inherently evil. Our physical bodies have intrinsic evilness and wickedness to them. And so the physical is to be shunned in its entirety because of this. Some have even taught that because of this aspect of our humanity, if we do have a physical body, it will be totally different than our current bodies. As, as if DNA in some way is an uh, abhorrent to the creator, even though he was the one who created it. You know, this, these concepts that, you know, the resurrection is really where Jesus just hits the reset button and our brains and our memories and everything is just white clean and all of our personalities and who we have been for the years and, and decades that we're here on earth, that is all gone and everything becomes new. Church, that, nothing could be further from the truth. All you need to do is look at Jesus, right? Our perfect uh, future glory, our future glory includes a perfect, physical, embodied life that was similar to Jesus' glorified body. The scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection of Jesus and our future resurrection. 
And in verse 49, Paul writes, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, in other words, just as we are in Adam, that first Adam, the human father, the ancestor from which we all come, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, the second Adam. In Philippians 3, he says it even more clearly. In verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, and notice these words very carefully, who will transform our lowly body to be like his, what's the next two words? Glorious body. He's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So we need to understand, well, what, if we want to know what our bodies are going to be like one day, we have to understand what was Jesus's body, resurrected body like. And that's a fascinating study in the scriptures. You realize very clearly and very quickly that his resurrected body was a literal, physical, flesh and blood body that did everyday things, common things, even mundane things. What do we see in Jesus after the resurrection? I like this one. We see Jesus in John catching fish, making a fire, cleaning and cooking the fish, and then serving it to his friends and eating those blackened red fish with them. Okay, maybe it wasn't blackened red fish, but eating the fish with his friends, the disciples. We see him eating several times. He, he broke bread with the disciples. And he walked with them. He talked with them. He was known by the disciples. They saw him. They recognized him as Jesus. There's only two instances in the New Testament where Jesus was not recognized after his resurrection as Jesus. One of those was on the road to Emmaus. Right after his resurrection, he walks on this road with two men who had been following him, and, the, but, and they don't recognize him. And that's always kind of been, wow, how do they not recognize him? And some of you say, well, this means our resurrection bodies are going to be very different because look at the guys on the road to Emmaus, but if you notice carefully in that text, it says that they were temporarily, supernaturally hindered from recognizing Jesus. And then when they sat down for their meal, again, Jesus is eating with them, he's talking with them, he's carrying on conversation, that veil, that, that confusion that was removed from them, and they immediately recognized that it was Jesus. Another one is when in the tomb, outside the tomb, the garden tomb, Mary Magdalene, that great woman who loved and served and followed Jesus. She goes and she thinks that his body has been stolen from the tomb. And, and as she's weeping and she's crying and she's wailing, she sees somehow this man in the garden and she thinks it is the gardener. And she asks this gardener, where have they taken his body? He's gone. And of course it's Jesus and she doesn't recognize him. And some have said, see, Jesus' body is very different, but we got to put ourselves in that context. Have you ever been so overcome with grief and you're crying and you got tears, you know, they're, 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 you know this is nasty kind of crying? You, you can't see well, can you? And not only that, in that day, age, and that time, women did not initiate eye contact with men. 
There was a, a, a humility, a posture of women towards men. And so what's happening here is in this garden tomb, this person who loves Jesus is grieving severely with tears coming out of her eyes, and she sees a man out of the corner of her eye, doesn't look at him clearly, and she doesn't recognize him. She talks to him. But then what happens? Jesus speaks. And when Jesus speaks, what happens to Mary Magdalene, right? Her whole demeanor changes. Master! She recognizes his voice immediately. In other words, Jesus' post-resurrection speech and accent and vocal patterns, same as pre. So, so all of you, for example, who are from another part of the country and, and my southern accent gets in the way, guess what? You better start to love it because it's here for all of eternity. <laughs> and, and all of you who say car keys like I say khakis, I got to love your accent too because it's going to be the same. Hey, think about that. One day we're going to all, I mean, from all across the world, tribes and tongues of people are going to be gathered together singing our praises to the Lord and it's going to be in all the accents and the flavors of our human creation. As we carry these things over from our current life to our future life. Think about how Jesus interacted with his friends, his memories, and his mode of operation with them before the death and resurrection carried over till after the resurrection. And those memories and those conversations, he referred back to them, and they were carried forward into the future. So the memories are all there. The relationships are all there. They're just better in the future than what they are right now. Think about that for a moment. That all of our memories and our earthly relationships and our relational histories, they continue and they expand. We will know our loved ones. We will pick up right where we left off with our laughter and our joy and our enjoyment of one another. Those of us who've lost children perhaps in the, the process of pregnancy, and we never got to know those children. There's coming a day when we will know our children. What, what a glory it will be when we find that we have family in heaven that we never got to know and understand and meet, and yet for all of eternity, we're going to get to enjoy a relationship that right now we don't get to enjoy. And their personhood, because when they were in your womb, woman, Mom, they were a person created by God in his image, and they have that uh, potential within them. Isn't that going to be neat? Catherine, I wonder if we have a daughter or another son. We'll find out one day, waiting for us in heaven. Church, we need a physical human body. We need it in order to be fully human, in order to enjoy the physical aspects of our eternal home. We need a physical, emotional, spiritual existence in order to remember our life on earth and then in turn to enjoy our relationships in the future. Our resurrection, th this passage is meant to comfort us, especially when we think of those who already sleep in Jesus, who've gone before us. 
And if the Lord tarries and he doesn't return, all of us will be joining that crowd. And there will be those who are behind us who will be looking to the day when they are reunited with us. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Encourage one another. Final application from this passage. Not only does the the glory of our resurrection determined by Jesus' resurrection... Our resurrection occurs, secondly, at the second coming of Christ, which will be a cosmic event that no one in this world can possibly ignore. Our resurrection is going to occur as a result of the second coming of Christ, and that second coming of Christ is going to be a cosmic event which no one can ignore. Verse 14 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God." This passage is an incredible passage that speaks to our resurrection in conjunction with the second coming of Christ. There's three important truths I want to give you as we wrap up this morning. First of all, our resurrection day is a day of recognition for the world's population. It's a day of recognition for the world's population. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. This is a cosmic event. That word coming is the Greek word parousia. It is a word that indicates glory, great pomp and circumstance. And you see what that pomp and circumstance is in this passage, right? In 1 Thessalonians, there's the shouted command of God. There's the trumpet of God. There's the voice of an archangel. This is not some secret private event that only involves the church. This passage has been taken as a way to to encourage an idea that Jesus kind of comes back and he takes all the Christians away to heaven for seven years and we we live with Jesus in heaven for seven years while the earth goes to hell in a handbasket during the tribulation. This is not what this passage says at all. There's nothing secret about this that only involves the church. It involves the entire world. Romans chapter 6, the apostle John, when he uses the same language of the last trumpet, this trumpet of God, this is what he says about it. He says, when that shout goes out, that trumpet is, is sounded, the people of the world, all the people who have rejected Christ, they will see Jesus, they will recognize Jesus, and their response is one of absolute terror. God, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Hide us from the face of the lamb. They crawl under the caves, into the dirt, wanting the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from this great and terrible day of the Lord. It's a great and terrible day for the person who rejects Jesus Christ. For those of us 
who have received him and we follow him. This day is a day of finally recognizing our Lord if we have never died. It is a day of recognition where we see our loved ones and we are reunited with them in the air. It's a day of recognition. Secondly, our resurrection day is a day of recreation, of renewal, of restoration. The Bible says that there will be the shout of the Lord, the trumpet of God, the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. The dead rise first. And the old joke is the dead have to rise first because they have six feet further to go. That's not why they rise first. Uh, This is a position of glory and of honor. And and we're going to see this in just a few moments at the next point. But trust me, for right now, just kind of tag this. The dead rise first to meet the Lord in the air because they're being honored, right? The, the, The living, those who are alive, they are all caught up. The dead and the living are caught up together. This is the Greek word harpazo. It means to be forcefully seized, to be grabbed with power and with might and strength. This word harpazo, for caught up, in the Latin translation of the scriptures in the 300s by Jerome, he he chose the Latin word rapio. And from rapio, we get the English word what? Rapture. The word rapture doesn't mean anything other than being caught up together with the Lord. The dead in Christ, the living in Christ, we are all caught up with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're caught up in order to be restored, renewed, and recreated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I mentioned a few moments ago, Paul gives an even clearer explanation of what's going to happen at this day. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. You see the the correlation between 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4? For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory through sin over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people say, amen, amen. Our resurrection day. It's a day of recognition for the world's population. It's a day of recreation, renewal, transformation when this earthly mortal body puts on immortality, that perfect body that we would have always had if sin had never entered into the world, but because of the resurrection of Christ, sin has been defeated. This is our future glory. And on our resurrection day, it's a day of reunion and rejoicing. 
I already mentioned to those of you, many of you ladies and dads, you've lost children in utero. A day of reunion with children that you never knew. Elfrida, it's a day of reunion with your dear daughter. Church, it's a day of reunion with your dear wife, with your dear husband, with your dear son. And I can go through each section and I look at you and my heart breaks and grieves as I realize the pain that is in your heart even this morning that is the result of sin and death and what sin has created in the human life and the human condition. Death has come into this world, but there's coming a day. There's coming a day when all that is done and we are gonna be reunited with our loved ones who will be even better than how we knew them here on earth. How awesome is that? It's going to be a day of reunion and rejoicing. We will meet the Lord in the air. That word comes from a Greek phrase. It's an important one. And let me just give you a way of illustrating it. What does it mean to meet the Lord in the air? In, in Greek Roman uh, culture, this word was used in a very distinct way. So for example, in 69 uh, AD, Vespasian was made the Roman emperor. He was the general who led the military to, into Israel, and they ultimately destroyed the temple of Israel. His son does. He was a great Roman general. The, Nero had died. They went through three or four other emperors, one right after another. And Vespasian, he takes control by popular acclaim. He is named the emperor. He returns from the Middle East, and when he gets several miles outside the city of Rome, all of the most important people in the city, the senators, the, the aristocracy, they left the city, and they went out several miles out from the city to meet Vespasian. And then behind them came middle class, and then ultimately the citizens of, of Rome come out. So many of them came out that one contemporary historian said, for the first time in its history, Rome is absolutely quiet and safe because it was emptied. They all went outside to meet Vespasian and they created what we might call a ticker tape parade, right? And they're celebrating the return of their emperor as he comes in and takes power. This is the word, apentesis, meet the Lord in the air. We are resurrected and raptured off this earth not to go with Jesus to some place in another dimension for seven years. We go outside the gates of our world to welcome our King into His world. That's what is in store for us as we are reunited with our loved ones, as we are reunited with our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's the result of all of this? rejoicing like this world and this universe has never seen before. Church, our resurrection day, it is going to be a glorious, glorious event. Do you have a part of it? These verses are meant to encourage those of us who maybe are grieving should give us comfort to know that God in his sovereignty is in complete control of it all. These verses are also meant to encourage those of us who do not know Jesus, who do not follow Jesus. This condition in your life will result in you being a part of that group who says, hide us 
from the face of him who sits on the throne. My prayer for you is that you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Christian, my prayer for you this morning is that these verses and the truth of what is to come will comfort you even in the midst of very normal and natural human grief. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at this passage, to study it. Lord, would these simple truths that come from this passage, would they bear fruit? To the husband, to the wife, to the mom, to the dad, to the brother, to the sister who has grief in their life this morning, would these verses and this passage be used to encourage them? That as horrible as death is, as painful as it can be for us, it is not the end of this story. The end of this story is reunion and recreation, the restoration of all things. Lord Jesus, may this comfort us this morning, and may it convict the one who is yet to commit their life to you. May even this morning at the close of the service, they make their way to our care table and they speak with our counselors and pastors. May today be their day of becoming a member of the family of God. In your name we pray these things, Jesus, for your glory. Amen.